Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Derek, take a look at yourself in the mirror. Who are you becoming? And what story do you find yourself in a part of? Because I'm going to pull you right through the mirror. We're entering the matrix, baby. Welcome to Wonder Tour. That was my best Neo. Whoa. Um, what do you think, Drew? That was pretty good. I, the, the first time you did it there, I was like, oh my gosh. I was surprised by how good it was. <laughs> do you know, it's also my favorite GIF. I love sending that to people and watching them really feel underwhelmed because it's a really <laughs> short GIF. It's a really short GIF. It only has like one word at the bottom. And it just flashes up there and then it's gone. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought there was more to the clip than that. But oh, well, Um, all right. So what are we into today, man? Time to talk about The Matrix. I know this is one of your favorite movies. To be honest with you, I like The Matrix. The original movie I, I like a lot. I remember the first time I saw it really being captivated by it. And then wanting to, you know, be excited for the next two movies, which were underwhelming at best, <laughs> in my opinion. And I know some people really enjoy them. So, again, this is all opinions when I'm talking about, well, you know, some people like different actors. Some people like different ways of storytelling. For me, I like the original Matrix. And that's what we're going to stick to predominantly today is the original Matrix movie here. Derek, what do you love about the Matrix? Well, I would say uh, it, it have to be the choice of fashion. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say that the, you know, for some reason, when you know how the world really works, your fashion sense just goes crazy. Um, so I thought that was interesting about the, uh, you know, at first from the first time I ever saw it, which was, you know, I don't know, let me just say way back in college and whatnot. So we'll leave it at that. But um you know, it was uh, it was definitely a departure. And then you got all the like, the, you know, the the bullet time. Right. Um, which I love. And I'm going to head and spoil because it is what it is. But the uh, the resurrections flick, you know, later on, uh, they talked about how we need a new shtick. We need a new angle. We got to have a new bullet time. <laughs> I love that um, because the Matrix was trying to outdo the Matrix and uh I, there was so much uh, parallel parallelism there and so much like the, uh, you know, that little Russian doll thing where you get a doll inside of a doll inside of a doll. Um, it, it very much becomes that um, as you talk through uh, scenarios for the Matrix and uh, stories about the Matrix. Um, and I love that. I think that's great. I think it 
they thoroughly explored by movie four. They have thoroughly explored up and down the doll chain. So that's what I loved about Matrix. There's a few different things. I do like the stylized kind of, especially in the first Matrix movie. It's so like distinct. It helps you to understand the world through the fashion that they chose and through how, you know, Agent Smith is set up versus how Morpheus is set up and Neo. And it's just, yeah, you're right. They, they overdo it for sure. But in such a way that I think everybody after watching the first movie was like, I want to be like Keanu Reeves. You know, <laughs> I want to be Morpheus. Like, it's, it, at least I, I remember. Yeah. Well, also, to me. <laughs> here's the subtext. The subtext is I also want to know what reality really is. Right. I mean, you know, and I know we're not getting to that because that's like the trite, you know, angle on all this. But I think that's an interesting one as well as, you know, this was back honestly, when a lot of games where you could start to skin your character, right? And so there's this distinctiveness that if you know what's going on in the real world, that you will be cool and you will look cool, right? And you know some kind of kung fu moves. I don't know how that comes in, but it is. It's there, um, you know, and you can slow down so that you can see bullets, you know? And that's, you know, that's mindfulness, right? So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at least a metaphorical mindfulness that, uh, you know, it's interesting. Well, we don't want to go after the obvious things here on the Wonder Tour because we assume that if you're on this tour with us, you've already thought about these things a thousand times. If you haven't, that's okay too. But we want to go a level or two deeper. So we are going to start out by doing some mentor modeling. Let's talk about Morpheus and what how Morpheus models curiosity and also what archetype, right? When we're modeling a mentor, we want to understand what archetype is Morpheus and what can we learn and what can we put on our leadership tool belt by learning from Morpheus. Derek, how do you see Morpheus? What is his leadership or mentor archetype? Um, I would say he matches, uh, well, I don't say matches, but I think he's the most similar to Danny Ocean. Um, I'm going to draw a parallel there um, because we did we did an Ocean's Eleven uh, episode a while back. And it's really this, you know, I'm only going to reveal what I need to reveal. I'm only going to tell you what I need to tell you. And I'm going to give you some maybe some cryptic tests sometimes. Um, but I'm not going to tell you everything. Now you think about it, you know, Morpheus is holding back. You know, I think you're the one and all this stuff. And I've. I don't know. I mean, I think that's a good thing to do is as a mentor, you know, to your mentee, you know, if you, even if you think they're the one, you never tell them <laughs> that they're the one, you know, um, because you don't want to spoil it. Um, and what I mean by that is that if they think they're the one that they're just going to jump to that and be like, I'm the one. But, you, you, you know, there's a difference between seeing greatness in somebody and actually being greatness. Right. And so I think there's you know, there's that, you know, and I think that's the kind of mentor that Morpheus was. He was willing to have the patience realizing where he fit in the narrative, you know, um, and he waited to the right times to drop the information packets, right. That say, guess what? Here's it. Cause it's not just one red pill in that movie. Right. You know, I can talk a little bit about this, but there are multiple red pills as he is waking Neo up. This is not just like one and done. 
right? The movie you saw one and done and you're like, oh my gosh, he's in the pit, you know, of all of this stuff. Well, no, but there's more, right? Because there's these other people and there's these other problems and there's other things. And, you know, what do you think? I'm following. I'm following. I think you're, yeah, you're right. He's close to that Danny Ocean archetype, but I think he's a different twinge of the archetype. I think he's actually maybe a fusion between the Danny Ocean and the Halliday a little bit because the the way that they progress the story, and this is what's brilliant, and we got to give credit to uh, one of our friends who's going to be coming on the show here, uh, you know, in less than five episodes, we'll just say, uh, to give his take on a different piece of media. But when we were just talking to him the other day about The Matrix, he brought up this great kind of piece about the storytelling in The Matrix that you in the original Matrix movie and why it's so much better than the other movies is because the storytelling is all done through the action. The character development is driven through the action. And so because the action was so good and Neo's development primarily came through those action moments, you the whole narrative was really cohesive and there wasn't a lot of explaining, even though it was kind of a hard tricky concept at first to try to explain the matrix there wasn't a lot of exposition which is you know usually a pretty bad thing in a movie when there's just a lot of oh hey you know you don't you need that character to just be like oh hey they're going over there to do this it's like there wasn't a lot of that in the first matrix movie yeah and especially yet, when it's keanu <laughs> yeah yeah i'm going yeah. over there to do this can you imagine <laughs> how much of a train wreck that would have been <laughs> Yeah, and that well, I mean, we got to see what it was because by the time you get to by the time you get to the third Matrix movie, that's basically what's happening is that it's become so complex and so poorly written that that's what had to be done. Yeah, <laughs> so they had yeah. to do a lot of exposition to be able to explain what was going on, and that's why we love Christopher Nolan is because he doesn't do that exposition, right? He has these complex ideas that he gets across through this kind of like layering and design patterns, that, so that when you see it multiple times, just like with the Matrix, you want to see it multiple times okay, now things are sticking out to you. You're seeing where the characters are growing and developing and where they're learning things. So what I like about Morpheus's strategy as the mentor is, number one, he's curious about who he is. So let's just hyperlink. There's a hyperlink to a previous episode here, Shang-Chi to Katie, right? Katie is curious about who she is. And then because of that, he recognizes that he's not the protagonist, right? He's not the one. So... Instead of trying to explain, like you said, explain to Neo that he's the one, because we all have probably tried that in our leadership journeys before, trying to not to explain to somebody that they're the one, but, you know, you try to explain to somebody their specific role and blah, blah, blah. And it's like for somebody with great potential, that's not really required most of the time. You know, it's going to activate. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. You just don't know when. Now, if you're the kind of leader that can't handle not knowing when you got to get there because honestly those are the best some of the best moments of leadership is when you continually throw somebody into the dojo and they keep having like oh man you know in the fourth movie okay i'm gonna go to that for a second you know when you know i mean there are plenty of times where neo is getting into these brawls and you're just like, will he reactivate? Will he re-remember who he was, right? Um, he was really struggling in different times. And I think you're made to think, that's it. He's finished. 
He's just not going to. And then it just like there's a breakthrough moment and things kind of come back to where they were. So I think we can fall in and out of being the one, you know, as leaders. Um, and that's called a comeback. Right. And we are going to do some stuff on comebacks at some point. I, I've <laughs> I've been I've been imploring Drew. I'm like, we got to got to talk about the comeback because the comeback is a beautiful thing. It's um, a beautiful narrative yeah. arc, right? It's the thing that you really want to get behind. It is glorious. Uh, and there's so many good stories about comebacks, you know, and then there's a reason for that because they're amazing. <laughs> so let me, let's try to wrap up this Morpheus discussion with something applicable. So to be that Morpheus model of a mentor, you really have to put people in the dojo, right? You got to get people set up, get your people in the dojo. And we know that most learning happens by doing that's it's intuitive to us because we've learned by doing and we know that that's the you know if we have the time and the resources to do it it's really the most effective way to learn something and to imprint that on your brain so that you can then use it over and over again and and combine it with all the other things that you've learned so where's an example of how Derek, maybe you've been able to put somebody into the dojo or off, you know, you've been able to show somebody what the dojo looks like, basically. You're like, hey, you know, maybe they're the one, maybe they're maybe maybe they have just have good potential or something like that. But you, you know, you're really good at this, in my experience. You do not tell a lot. You're all about showing and all about letting people experience things rather than just saying, okay, it's like this. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons I do that probably is that that management style is very energy intense, right? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not going there. And I think the most effective way to really cement it, you know, is to go through those motions. And, um, you know, it really depends on the kind of learner somebody is. But a lot of times people are kinesthetic learners and I can see those people and I could say, yeah, they don't really listen to what people are saying. <laughs> That's number one, you know, and somebody who's an audio learner is like telling people by audio, like, this is what you need to do. And they give verbal commands and all this stuff. So I think it's one of the things is look at the type of learner somebody is. But um, if you're looking at the the Morpheus angle, as far as how he did it, I was thinking about this as you were talking, the the dojo, right? Is the dojo in the middle of an explorable world? No, it's in the middle of a lake. You can't leave. Okay. So I think that's the first piece of wisdom I'm going to take away from the dojo here, which is you can't leave the dojo. It's a beautiful place. Um, it's a great place to be able to try out your skills. You apparently can kick the columns and make a bunch of splinters, you know, and all this stuff. You can destroy the dojo from the inside, but you really can't affect anything on the outside. So I would say if you're going to try to teach somebody something, find like a walled off garden of some sort, you know, where you can give them a little bit of a playground you have minimal consequences for uh, learning the skills that you need to learn. What do you think about that? I think I can come up with a good example of where we've both done that, right? We create these environments for understanding a problem or a solution or some of both, right? We create these either a physical or a virtual environment, basically like you're creating a dojo and you're setting up some you know, very loose boundaries around the outside of it and saying, okay, here are the walls of the dojo. And then you're putting in some frameworks and some concepts into the dojo and saying, okay, now I'm just going to, maybe you're scheduling the meeting or maybe even ask the person that you're putting in the dojo to schedule that meeting or schedule that workshop or session. You're like, okay, I'm just going to set up some of the constructs of the dojo. I'll plan it out a little bit for you. But once we get in there, and I've seen you do this a lot, Derek, you, 
you kind of give them a couple, maybe a minute or two of, of kind of a lead in. You're like, all right, now let's get going. And then you just kind of recede. <laughs> and you're just like, all right, now you're in the dojo. Like, whether you recognize it or not, you're going to you're going to learn. And if at the end you fail, then we'll set up another experiment and you'll learn next time. <laughs> right. And yeah, well, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think it, it it takes, you know, a pre-planned patience, you know, and I think if you pre-plan your patience, you know, and you say we're going to go through this multiple times. And really what I'm looking for is, yeah, a little bit of progress. Right. And if I don't see a lot of progress, then I say to myself, it's either, you know, something like a personal block and then you try to talk through that block or it could just be like, you know, knowledge based. Right. And the key is, is that you got to find somebody who continually comes back, you know, and I think about Neo when he kind of, you know, maybe his lips bleeding or something like that. And he kind of, you know, he gets that look in his eye and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that look in the eye coming back at me and saying, I'm not done yet. I'm actually that kind of stunned me, um, but I, I want more, right? And so that's kind of the reaction when you get, you know, into this. I want to say there's a certain intimacy when you're martial arts fighting, right? Um, and I think that's great. You you want to do that, the struggle, you know. Somebody wise in my life right now, he's, he's been talking about um, struggle, right, and, and struggling through and I love that. That is exactly what this is. That's the essence of what this is. And we may have to like, I don't know, dig deep on struggle at some point, but you know, what goes on in that and how do you change through the struggling process? You know, um, I'm not talking about a bad way. We're talking about like, you know, this way where like you're thinking about, you know, the work and you're thinking about, um, what you're doing and you're, you're like, I get it. This, this is like, I'm really exhausted at the end of this day but I understand now why this is the way it is. You know, that's, you can never verbalize that, right? Well, if we're on a journey to become magnanimous leaders, then it follows that the struggle is a key part of it. Because if if you're trying to grow into something that is very hard to be, we can just tell that by looking at the world, there are not many magnanimous leaders that you come across in your daily routine. There are a lot of people that are, that are, working and they're trying to be good leaders and again i'm not throwing stones everybody's got their own situation not everybody thinks the same way you know receives the same content that type of thing has the same upbringing but there really are few great magnanimous leaders so that must tell you something it's hard to get there it is hard to get there and i think that we are at a time where scarcity is more in promotion, right? And I think about the matrix as far as scarcity goes. There really isn't a lot of scarcity in the matrix except what is overtly programmed. But if you think about the people who are hacking the matrix, they can instantiate any kind of object. They can bring in any kind of object they want. They want a chopper, they can bring it in. The problem is, is that you can only bring in stuff when you enter. Right. And then when you're like in the middle of the thick of it and you're fighting the agents, you can't really like extra instantiate things like that's it. You, you don't you got what you got. Did you bring a bag of guns into the, your, you know, whatever to the lobby, you know, and, and you're out you're like, that's it. That's all you got with you, you know. Um, so I think that's interesting. Um, and I, you know, I think that's where the Matrix kind of gives us a little bit of 
I don't know, an example of a leader is going to find anything in the environment to battle with, right? Um, and a leader lives from abundance because when backed into a corner of scarcity, the leader says, there is no, the magnanimous leader says, there has got to be something I can use. And a lot of times that's peeling off something in sacrifice. You know, I mean, the ideal magnanimous leader is going to peel something off in sacrifice and turn that into something that they can battle with, some kind of a weapon to use in the battle, right? Um, what does Neo do when he's backed into a corner, right? And this is a little bit different because you can't, this is one way of looking at it. You can't always do it this way, but Neo, he, you know, he gets backed into the corner by Agent Smith, or maybe it's Morpheus in the first one that gets backed into a corner, but right, like wall kicks, <laughs> right? Like it's like, all right, well, all I've got is a wall, so I'm going to have to jump off the wall and, and turn around and flip, do a roundhouse kick because that's all I've got. <laughs> 100%. And another thing, too, is, is that he was curious enough about himself and curious enough about the environment that he was thrown into to limit break, right? He was actually forced into limit breaking, um, you know, and that's when you, you know, you get pushed beyond. And, and I think that, you know, what's the motivation of a magnanimous leader to do that for the good of others, right? And I think that's the best possible context for a limit break, because when you limit break, you really need to have humility backing it up. Otherwise, your newfound ability and your newfound power. Imagine if he just like sat there and was like, "Woo, I can dodge these bullets all day long and all his friends are getting shot. <laughs> you know, that's like the opposite of magnanimous leadership. Right. And we all know that the way Neo, you know, played it out was, you know, honestly, very selfless and very magnanimous. And um, because he was looking for that ultimate, you know, solution for everything, which is the job of the one. Right. Um is there anything else you want to cover in, in oh, this yeah. first part? I, I love because I, uh, I got to keep going on what you just said there, because that was perfect. Yeah. Right. So we want to pull in some curiosity here. We've just been like talking about hints of curiosity, but the curiosity about where the narrative is at and where it's going. And then as a result of that, the environment around you. Right. Because a lot of times to understand the narrative somebody needs to cast it to you through their actions and maybe through some stories or by asking you some questions, right? That's how you're able to understand what the overall narrative is. And Morpheus does that for Neo. He does that very kind of cryptically at times. He's just slowly letting out information in such a way that Neo needs to find things out for himself. But that's not the only way we find things out, right? He, Neo also learns things about the matrix from the environment around him. He's having to pick these up as context clues and you're only going to pick those up if you're curious. So we have, and again, a lot of times it's not going to be, you're not gonna have enough motivation if it's for you. I have found in my experience, you're not gonna have enough motivation to, to overturn every rock, to look out under every tile, you know, to see if there's gonna be a way to push Agent Smith back. It's you ha it has to be for the good of others. And I think for Neo, that's the case too, right? When he's living on his own, he has no motivation to, even though he is the one, he doesn't have any motivation to, to break the matrix, basically. Yeah, he's curious. Yeah, he's programming and stuff like that. But again, until he has the, really reaches the understanding of who he is in the story and you know what he has to work with, 
then he's able to play out the story the way that the story is intended to be played and even the way that it's not right because the story is kind of we learn that the story is kind of written a certain way and he has the opportunity in the second one to break that yeah i mean i was thinking the whole time you were talking there is the only time he ever said whoa whoa is when he ran out of milk in his fridge (laughs) his life was pretty (laughs) small you know his life was pretty small or maybe it was a syntax error i'll I'll go with the programming one um whoa i can't believe i broke that if block um you know so yeah i i I think that's really good what you're saying there and you you've got to be curious about where you fit in the narrative and, and and that's what i wanted to know is like what else i was actually curious about our narrative right and i wanted to see what else that you wanted to cover you know today which is you know um i think that's a healthy thing a healthy leadership thing right you've got to be figuring that out especially if you're new to an organization especially if you just got there or if you just switched over to another area of an organization if we're talking a big one right if we're talking a small one then it's more about i would think being curious about how let's say you're in a small business i'm going to play out that scenario you've never worked with this particular person before small business is different in the fact that you don't know the intimate things that uh, about this person that you're about to work with and you're going to you know you're going to be working with them closer than you had maybe you were just working on your own in the small business so i think it works for both types of organiz- you know of organizations and I, I think it's good for us to kind of contrast small and large um you know because uh, it, it really helps you know kind of see like um, you know, it, it's, there's different ways to be curious about the narrative for sure. Um, you know, I don't know, just a thought. No, there are, yeah, there absolutely are. I mean, in a small business, a lot of times, you know, you're either driving the narrative or you're picking up context clues and stuff. It's less overt because there's not this corporate structure and all these kind of pillars that have to be held up. Once you create all of those pillars and cycles and things like that, then, yeah, you know, we just release messages to the people over time. And it kind of, if you're not careful, that overstructuring of the vision and the strategy can actually become disconnected to the people who execute on that. Now, to small business, it's usually less that issue, in my experience, and more so that, you know, everybody wears many hats and they don't necessarily, you know, you have a the vision and the strategy coming out of a small group of people and maybe everybody else doesn't understand it that well or maybe they do you know sometimes they do understand it really well um but it kind of comes in spurts because maybe you don't have the infrastructure of the planning and strategic processes that kind of ensure that you get a consistent result out of that yeah i mean it's more scrappy right and I, i think it uh you know, in a small business context, a lot of times abundance is just over the hill. You just got to get over the hill and you can get to abundance and you have a very firm grasp on what abundance is um, and you know where you want to go. Uh, but getting there, you know, you're like, oh, I got to do that work. <laughs> There's nobody else to do that work. Right. And I think that's interesting. So, um, you know, that's how we fit in the narrative. I think we've got to think about, you know, you know, the kind of environment that we're working in, um, whether it is personal or business. And if it's personal, you can take the same thing. Do you have a small circle of friends? You know, where do you fit in that narrative? Do you have a large grouping of friends? You know, are you more of an extrovert? Where do you fit in that narrative? The, the key here is to find that purpose. It's not always to be the one, you know, 
I think you're you're always the one to somebody else. What do you think about that? Yeah, you're always the protagonist for you're always the protagonist in your own mind because you have an ego. I mean, as much as you might want to, you know, kill the ego, you can't really. So you're always going to have an ego. Um, But then it's we've talked about this before. There's multiple narratives playing out at once to into a larger narrative and they interact with each other. And so, yeah, it's never as simple as it is in a movie where there's a script and generally everything is all, you know, cohesive and to the end, if it's a good movie. Yeah. I think that, you know, yes, you are always the one, but sometimes you're not the one that saves the world. You know, you're the, you're the one that mentors the person. You're the one that sets up the dojo. You're the one that cleans the dojo, right? Because that's a really important role as well. I like that. Clean the dojo. Yeah. The, the job that you don't think is really worth it, that's the job a leader needs to do. And at least experience that, at least know how to do that job, because the leader, you know, honestly should never be asking anybody to clean the dojo unless they've done it first themselves. Um, that's so, a wrap. Let's wrap it right good, there. That was awesome. It's some good wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. This one's all, yeah, this one's all about how do we, how do we be like Morpheus? How do we learn to take on some of those leadership characteristics and really see the world from that curious angle and find our place in it? I love it. So next time we're going to be talking about now, I want to say this. If you had anything you want to add on that, hit us up on Twitter on the wonder tour. And next time we're going to be doing a part two on matrix. And that is going to be, um, essentially a a talk about you know some of these like matrices that we get caught up in with people and uh, so we're going to be talking about these maybe some of these social constructs and different things and how we can kind of get in closed loops with those and that could be challenging can't it drew oh yeah i'm excited for this one this will be our kind of the matrix within the matrix take <laughs> you know what this is our crazy take this first one was more straightforward this this next one we'll get good results out of it you know we trust the process but we're going to go a little bit more what if on it i like it all right well we will uh see you next time and remember not all who wonder are lost